Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 51. Last week, I covered how the Israelites saved the Benjaminites from extinction. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the history of the people, places, and things found in that part of the biblical narrative. And with that, let's get started. First up this week is the place Jabesh-Gilead, the one city in Israel that did not send warriors to aid their brothers in fighting the Benjaminites following the slaying of the Levites' concubine. Sometimes you will see Jabesh-Gilead listed simply as Jabesh, and as the name indicates, it was found in the Gilead region in the land allocated to the eastern half of the tribe of Manasseh. This places it in the region that is today northwestern Jordan. This mention in Judges 21 is the first place it's found in the text, though it's better known in the tales about King Saul battling the Ammonites and the Philistines. The name Jabesh translates to the word dry, as in parched, so the dry place in Gilead, though it could also mean a rocky region. Back in the text, it merited several mentions relating to the war that followed the murder of the Levite's wife. In those passages, the Benjaminites were nearly exterminated, with only 600 of their warriors surviving. And, since these were all men, the tribe was going to need wives to avoid the death of their family name. The other Israelites, the same ones who just killed off all the other Benjaminites, recognized this and changed course, now seeking wives for the lonely warriors. But there was a snag. They had made a vow to not allow their daughters to marry a Benjaminite. What to do? Find the one place in Israel that had not made the vow, attack it, murder any person who couldn't marry, then capture the young women who could and send them to the few remaining Benjaminite men. They took a roll call and realized that one place wasn't there, Jabesh-Gilead. Now, following their plan, the Israelites attacked the city, killing an untold number of innocent men, women, and children, then kidnapped the remaining 400 girls slash young women. What the whole incident fails to tell us is that after the massacre, and the girls were sent to Benjamin, who occupied the city. Likely their Manasseh neighbors took advantage of the vacuum and moved in. Jabesh-Gilead next shows up as a central location in 1 Samuel. In the narrative, and just while Saul is being anointed king by the prophet Samuel, the man Nahash, from the kingdom of Ammon, attacks Jabesh-Gilead. Several things happened before this, between the Ammonites and the Israelites, and I'll get to those in the future. For now, I'll pick up the story when Nahash shows up in Jabesh. Nahash lays siege to Jabesh, with the residents attempting to negotiate a surrender. The Ammonite king wasn't in the mood for any sort of peace talks, instead offering the people a choice. Death by sword or have their right eyes gouged out. Different days indeed. The people convinced Nahash to give them seven days to make up their minds, which also allowed them to seek assistance from the other Israelite tribes, and more importantly, from warriors. 
the residents sent messengers to all parts of Israel, which led to Saul assembling an army of nearly 400,000 and meeting Nahash on the battlefield at Bezek, likely a stone's throw from Sheshem. Saul would march to victory, defeating Nahash. Immediately after this, Saul was affirmed as the first king over Israel. Some time would pass with Saul as king, and he would finally, literally, fall on his own sword during the Battle of Gilboa, fought against the Philistines. The victorious Philistines recovered his body, along with the bodies of his three sons, who all perished in the same battle. To add insult, the Philistines decapitated those royals, then posed the bodies on the wall of Beit Sheen. At night, the residents of Jabesh-Gilead retrieved the bodies, because Saul had rescued them some years before. After gathering their corpses, Saul and sons were buried under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh. The soon-to-be King David, when he learned of this, sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead to bless them, because they had given his father-in-law an honorable burial. Later, David would take Saul's bones, along with Saul's son Jonathan's, from Jabesh and bury them in Zela, in the tomb of Saul's father. The name Jabesh makes an appearance in 2 Kings as the father of Shalom. Shalom was the 15th king of the kingdom of Israel, ruling for only about a month, sometime between 752 and 745 BC. That his father shared the name with the city may be coincidental, or it may indicate little is known about this king other than his hometown. Not that it matters any, but I'm going with the latter. And that's it for this city as found in the biblical text. Slightly outside of this, and therefore in the outside record, in the first century AD, Josephus described the city as a metropolis in Transjordan. A few centuries later, Greek scholar Eusebius mentioned a similarly named village as beyond the Jordan located on the mountains, six miles, roughly ten kilometers, from the city of Pella, on the road to Gerasa. Despite being given these distances as reference points, the exact location of Jabesh Gilead is debated in academic circles. Most identify it with a tell whose name I'll spare you. A smaller group locates it at another tell. Both of these developed hilltops were inhabited during the Iron Age and are along the Wadi Yabis, a stream believed to have been named after the ancient city. And that's Jabesh Gilead. Next up is the Rock of Rimen, where the last 600 Benjaminites hid after being attacked by the allied Israelite tribes and before they peacefully settled their differences. First off, the word Rimen in ancient Hebrew translates to pomegranates, giving some indication what the place was known for, of course, other than being a good place to hide from a pursuing army. As for the rock there, Joshua lists a place with the name as being one of the uttermost cities of Judah. It would later be in the territory allocated to Simeon. Also in Joshua, the places En and Rimen are mentioned separately, but later in the same book, the two words are combined as forming together the name of one place, Ain Rimen, 
literally the spring of the pomegranate. The place has been associated with Um Ur Ramamun, located about 13 miles, 21 kilometers southwest of Hebron. Zechariah described it as south of Jerusalem, likely hoping to differentiate it from other places with the same name. Sometimes it's associated with Geba to describe the east-to-west width of the kingdom of Judah. The Rock of Remen, where the remaining Benjaminite warriors fled, then hid for four months, is probably the modern Ramon, located on the very edge of the hill country with a steep descent towards the Jordan Valley. It is likely very near the site of the Canaanite city of Ai. While among the name Remen, there was a Syrian deity with the same name. It's mentioned in 2 Kings 5, along with a temple to the god, lowercase g. This Remen is likely just another name for the more generic Baals of the region. In the Assyrian language, the word Raminu means thunderer, possibly giving an indication what he was thought to be responsible for. In the Second Kings narrative, the Aramean commander Naaman, having been healed of his leprosy by the Israelite prophet Elisha, requested pardon from God for continuing to minister to the king of Syria, who himself would continue to worship in the temple of Rimmon. Elisha granted Naaman the requested pardon. There's another Rimmon, this one a man of Beeroth from the tribe of Benjamin, whose two sons, Bana and Rechab, were captains in the army of Ishbosheth, son of King Saul. The name makes another appearance, slightly outside of the biblical narrative, but still in a religious context. A remen, loosely resembling a very ornate pomegranate, is sometimes attached to a Torah scroll. Finally, there is the anonymous 20th century book, known as the Yerorancha book, that claims Remen was a small city in the region of Galilee, which had once been dedicated to the worship of a Babylonian god of the era, Ramen. The tome itself is very debated, though this claim about the city appears rather supportable being built upon what seems to be common knowledge. And that's the Rock of Remen, along with a few other places and things sharing the name. I'll spend the last few minutes of this episode quickly going through the little known about several other places and things mentioned in the Levite's concubine story. First up is Labina, which was a small town near Shiloh, to the north of Bethel. The mention in Judges is the only place it can be found in the text. It's thought to be the same place as a village in the West Bank region. The name means frankincense, probably a commodity, either or both traded and produced in the village. And that's that about Lebanon. The next place is Bel Tamar, a Canaanite word for Lord of the Palm. Its location is unknown, though thought to be near Jibea. Like Lebanon, it's only found in Judges, in the story of the battle between the tribe of Benjamin and the other tribes of Israel. Eusebius called it Beth Thamar. Close enough. Next is the city of Geba. Unlike the previous two places, it does get a few mentions. Geba was a Levitical city located in the territory assigned to Benjamin, 
on its northern border with Judah, near the cities of Ramah and Jibea. In the era of Saul, Gabriel was held by the Philistines and used as an encampment for their troops. Eventually, Saul's son and David's best friend Jonathan would run the Philistines off. Later, and during the reigns of Asa, the king of Judah, and Basha, the king of Israel, Gabah was one of the two cities that King Asa built from stones that King Basha had used to fortify Ramah. Given that stones are heavy and hard to transport, this likely indicates that the two cities were close enough that relocating the rocks was worth the effort. According to Josephus, a place with a similar name, Geboa, was located about 50 stadia north of Judah, on the route to Beth Oron. 50 stadia measures about 5 miles, just over 9 kilometers. And that's the places for this episode, but not quite the end. The last thing I'm covering related to the narrative found around the Levites' concubine is the festival known as the 15th of Av, with Av being a month on the Hebrew calendar. This is a minor Jewish holiday, though significant enough to be included in the history, specifically when 200 Benjaminite men kidnapped the same number of unwed Israelite women. This occurred in the territory of Ephraim, in the Levitical city of Shiloh, likely meaning the women were either Levites or Ephraimites. In modern Israel, the 15th of Av is celebrated as a holiday of love, to the point that it's considered a good day to get married on. And that's it for the people, places, and things around the story of the Levite's concubine and the end of the book of Judges. Join me next week when I'll circle back and attempt to summarize the book, a task where the deep dive took well over a year to cover. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.